0: Jewish Audio on Chabad.org. Okay, welcome everyone. This is In Conversations with Chana. I'm Chana Weisberg. I'm editor of the Jewishwoman.org. And in these conversations, we speak to all kinds of very inspirational people. I'm joined today with a very inspirational guest. Please let us know where you are listening from, from what part of the world. Please say hello. Let us know that you're watching and let us know where you are watching from. This is, again, in Conversations with Hannah. I'm Hannah Weisberg, editor of thejewishwoman.org. And I am joined today with Chaya Hot. Hi, Chaya.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: <laughs> and Chaya is going to be telling us about her story of faith after loss. Um, Chaya. Hi. Hi. So
1: um, it's faith after loss and before. <laughs> so, yeah. Um... So first of all, I want to start off. My name is Chaya HaT. My maiden name is Baruch. Um, some of you may know me. Some of you may not. Um, I think I grew up a pretty ordinary life. I uh, got married at a young age and had two children pretty quickly and um, went to school, went to seminary, you know, just regular. And I did not know that life could take me down a path I never dreamed um, and so after my second daughter was born, um, I fractured my back when she was just a few weeks old. and that turned into weeks and months and into a year very quickly before I got a terrible diagnosis at a young age of twenty four. I was diagnosed with osteoporosis, mm-hmm. and at that time, I didn't even imagine what that meant for me because, you know, you hear that term, you hear about older people that have it, but like, you know, at, at that age, it was, um, I, I was still naive when I when I got the diagnosis. I still didn't understand. Um, and so a year, you know, quickly turned into two, three, four. I was being monitored, took all kinds of tests, a bone biopsy. They really searched high and low to find out what was going on with me. And uh, we never really got answers. So um, after being medically stable for over 10 years, Um, I was finally given uh, the green light. So wait, when
0: you had the osteoporosis, they told you you cannot have more children?
1: Correct. I I was told, well, it happened right after I gave birth to my last daughter. So um, it could be that it was related to the pregnancy and the birth, et cetera, and the nursing. Um, But there's no, you know, usually like someone, there's like a thyroid issue or a tumor or cancer, God forbid. Um, but for someone like my age, you know, something so devastating, um, you know, I remember when I fractured my back, the doctor asked me like, were you in a car accident? Like, how did you do this? You know, I had two vertebrae that were crushed and moved out of place. I was in a body cast for almost a year. Um, it was hard because I had little children and I couldn't even take care of almost myself
0: was the osteoporosis um, what I was a result of the car accident or no it was just... I never had
1: a car accident the guy the no, doctor he, was oh, like he
0: asked you like you had I had or... to have
1: gone something so wow. through something so wow. traumatic in order to get something like that where right. my bones were crushed and right. uh, but we never found out so
0: so I I'm sure a lot of people who are listening are thinking well you had two kids already you know like for in the secular world two kids is something like that's great you know what what are you so I guess you always had that vision of having a large family. I guess you were brought up with that kind of priorities or values in life.
1: So, yes, um, I'm one of seven. I grew up with a little bit of a larger family. Uh, My husband is one of four. And the truth is his father had passed away just under two years before we got married. And Mm -hmm. so we hoped and prayed that we would have a son to name after his father. Mm-hmm. So you know, the first girl was a girl, and the second girl was a girl. And you you know, my second it. child was a girl. Right. Of course, right. I was mm-hmm. happy. Right. Uh, but the two is of us true? always had this—not even a dream. It was something that we really wanted to be able to name after his father, which is a lot mm-hmm. of people that go through that. It's a big comfort. Sure. And um, and then when the years passed, you know, my first and nephew, I
0: guess also twenty-four is a young age to start. Yeah, children, yeah, so, right?
1: Not that I wasn't grateful for what I had, but you know, given the circles that I grew up with and you know the mentality and just the culture, um having more than two was normal, right? Yeah. um and so it wasn't just like, oh, I have two kids it was there was a lot behind it um and also, like, if I choose not to have more children, then that's a choice. But if God decides that I shouldn't have more children because I have a medical diagnosis, um it hurts. You know, for somebody yeah. else to close the door on me to having more children, and especially at such a young age, you I watch sure. all my family having children, all my friends having children, and I'm status quo, you know. And I have to say that during all those years, I was happy. It, it, you know, there were times where I would take a bone density and there were no improvements. I would cry. I I would grieve the boy that I couldn't have. But I still lived a very fulfilling life. I was happy. I was working full time. I was busy. You know, I used to bake cakes back in Crown Heights. I, i decorative cakes I would sell. Um, I, you know, it's very busy. I wasn't, I wasn't as much as I wanted that boy. I wasn't lacking anything per se in my life. Um, and so, or, you know, that quickly turned into a decade. And the doctor said to me when I was close to 35, you know, your window of fertility is closing Um, You know, where then after that you become geriatric where it's becomes more unsafe to have a baby, um, you know, because there are risks in birth defects and um, down syndromes and et cetera. Like it's, you know, as we get older, um, there are more issues and complications that could arise in pregnancy. And she said, since you've been so stable for over 10 years and we never found a specific underlying reason for your medical diagnosis, um, we're going to let you try for one more child. Um, mm-hmm. Normally, when somebody has osteoporosis and there is an underlying reason, they would continue to lose bone over time. Like, it, you know, but it was 10 years and I never lost additional bone and I was completely stable. And so mm-hmm. she said, we're going to let you try for one more baby. So she prepared me with injections for a full year and then... I pretty soon after became pregnant Um, and at the anatomy scan, I found out I was having a boy and we were very happy. We were Mm -hmm. very excited. Of course, it was only something that I shared with my husband. My children had no idea. And then um, by the time I was 34 weeks, it just suddenly everything came crashing down on me. I had slim to none warning that there was a problem and it came as a total shock to me and he passed away in utero. And, um, those are probably, you know, the day that I found out and then I had to come home and tell my children and all my family. And the day after the day I gave birth to him was the two hardest days of my life. And, uh, the days to follow also, um, in in a sense were harder because that's when the real grief began. Um,
0: how did you handle the grief? Like, what did you do in your most challenging times?
1: So for starters, when the doctor told me that the baby was not alive, um, my first gut reaction was Hashem said no, God said no, because obviously when I got the green light to have one more child, it could have been a girl. And so I knew at that anatomy scan that if it was going to be a girl, then Hashem said no to a boy. I tried. And then when, when he died, um, Hashem still said no, you know? (laughs) And so that's what was going through my head at the time. And then um, when we were discussing, you know, when a baby is still born, the baby still has a circumcision, a bris, a kosher, a burial, and a name. Um, We were discussing what we should name our son. And my husband said, we're going to name him after my father. And I said, absolutely not. I would not entertain that idea. I said, we were going to try again. I had no idea at that point what the pregnancy did to me, or if I would ever get my green light again, I thought this was it, my boy that I was, you know, my, my one more child was, was gone. And, um, yet there was still a deep part inside of me that said, no, we're going to try again without even know what, what time would bring. And, and even if I did get pregnant again, if this one would, you know, come home with us or if it would be a girl, like I had no idea. But God said no, and the fact that I would try again were like the two imminent, deepest things that I thought of um, that I had to hold on to, really. Um, and then when we named our baby, we named him Avraham because I, my grandfather had passed away re, like a year or two before my loss, and I always I was close to my grandfather. I had a very deep connection with him, and I wanted to name after my grandfather, but. Now that I was going to try again and save that name for my father-in-law, I said, this is my chance to name my son after my grandfather. And then we also heard that, you know, you gave like um, Malachim names, like angel names to these babies that are, you know, that don't live beyond the womb. And so we named him Rafael because that is an angel's name Mm
0: -hmm. as
1: well as we, and the meaning of the name is my daughter actually chose the name is that we knew God is going to need to heal our hearts after all that, that we have been through.
0: So, 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 you know, you, you say God said no, but yet you waited a decade for that child. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure your pregnancy 34 weeks were full of anticipation, hope dreams, and all of that was shattered really in one day. Um, How did, how did that feel to you? Like what was what was your reaction? I mean, you said God said no, but inside, what were you what were you feeling?
1: Well, I was kind of like going through fight or flight, like just through like adrenaline during the day of and the day after. It was hard, but like the real grief came when I came home from the hospital. I gave birth on a Friday morning and when we had to light those Shabbos candles, that's when my world really was like I couldn't get up. My kids had to take me downstairs to light those candles because I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it alone. And um, a little candle for him that Friday night, and I never stopped. Um, I still light a candle for him, and it was my family, close siblings, my parents, that literally held my hands from afar uh, because my loss happened the first week of COVID, so there was no, com- no one coming in and no one going out. So we were really alone in this tragedy for us. And like, you know, two weeks later, my brother said to me, it's really nice outside today. Go outside. And I said, but I can't, I can't get up. I can't. And he said to me, come with me. I'm holding your hand. Let's do this together. Mm -hmm. So it was really, um, I had my faith, but from a physical, natural human beings perspective, There was no way for me to do this alone. Absolutely no way. And so um, four weeks after my loss, it was right after Pesach now, my loss happened between Purim and Pesach. Uh, My husband did some research. He found four different organizations um, that provide support to women that have gone through infant loss, uh, pregnancy loss, stillbirths, as well as miscarriages. And he said, listen, I think you need help. This is what I found um go for it and i did and i i reached out to all four organizations and they have literally been my lifeline until today mm-hmm. um loss isn't something that goes away it's it stays with you forever um of course today i'm doing a lot better than i was you know 2 years ago but so the support from my family as well as um these organizations is what really helped me stand on my two feet and, um, move forward, move forward. We don't move on from something like that. We move forward. So that, that's how I did it. And I connected with friends who were going through the same thing as me at the same time. Well, it's never the same because no two people have the same story, but similar things and there's no greater validation and no greater support than someone that deeply understands you and, i don't I don't need to say the words. they understand me without me talking, even we understand each other. so that's that's really what it was, what got me through it.
0: You know I, I think what's what's so unique about um a miscarriage or a stillborn or something like of that nature is that you know, other grief is is we're so open about it. People know about it. This kind of grief, people really don't know how to respond to 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 the person. They don't know what to say, what not to say. They don't really know. It's not talked about. It's kind of like, how do you feel about that? And what do you think people should be doing?
1: So that is a big, big piece of what makes it very difficult for us women, because when somebody, God forbid, loses a baby to SIDS, that grief is legitimized. Everybody understands they lost a child. But for someone that lost, that had a stillbirth especially, um, people didn't see my child. People didn't see my baby. So they don't understand, like, I just showed a friend a picture of him, maybe three weeks ago, and her reaction was, Oh, my gosh, he's a real baby. And I said, and she's known my story. She's been with me all along yet, because she never saw my child. She that was her reaction. You Mm -hmm. know, so to me, he's my child. He's my baby, just like any other of my children. But because it's it's hidden, it was inside of me. And it was such a hidden thing. Um, It is very little spoken about in society and in general. And also, um, according to Jewish law, um, you know, when a person passes away, there is a Shiva the week after the morning. There is the 30 days and then there's the year where we say Kaddish. But these babies that have not lived outside of the womb or have lived younger than 30 days, there is no ritual for them because these babies are already at their purest state. They're holy souls, so they don't need all these rituals to elevate their souls. They are already elevated. Um, However, there are things, like I said, you know, like there's the faith that, you know, that worked for me that I had to hold on to, but there's also the flip side of that, that I'm a human being. And so there's a lot that I do still for my son to remember my son, not because he needs to be elevated because he's elevated, but it's for me to connect to my son. It's for me to remember my son. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a mother, a parent, is the, the bond between a parent and a child can never be broken. Mm-hmm. And we know, according to Jewish faith, that the soul lives beyond when a person passes away. And there are many times in the Torah where it gives examples where a person passes away and we say they never passed away. Um, Moshe Rabbeinu, um, I'm sure you can name a few, but even, you know, with Lubavitcher Rebbe, many people still connect to him and receive blessings, um, through connecting to his soul, even though it's been many, many years since he already, you know, passed away with his physical body, but his soul still still lives on.
0: Do you feel you're still connecting to the soul of your child?
1: thousand percent. They say that when somebody has grief, the grief is the love that they feel, for that person right when somebody's mother passes away mm-hmm. the grief is the love the connection the attachment so if i still have pain that means i still have connection so it's black and white to me that i i still feel connected i'm still attached i still connect to his soul do you feel um, you're
0: still grieving today
1: 100 wow. percent. i i mean also like i was saying loss isn't something that you know it's, it's something, it's current. Like for some people, they think somebody said to me a few weeks ago in Shul, she said, oh, you're surely beyond what you went through. And I was like, mm-hmm. wait, what? Like, mm-hmm. like I, it's current. I live with it every single day. It's part of my life. It's part of my soul. Um, this morning I had a panic attack because I couldn't find my daughter in the park. And she's not little. Um, but my brain automatically starts to go, do, what happened to her? Where is she? Where did she go? What She disappeared. Like, you know, it, it that's, that's. That's the, the trauma of loss is that i you know, we're afraid, how do I know this won't happen to me again? God forbid. We don't know We're, you know, we, we just don't know God's plans. And so we're, we're vulnerable and, um, it's not like sometimes you hear about something that happens in the news, but when it happens to me, when it happens to a person, it becomes a reality, a living reality. So, um, is the grief as strong as it was two years ago? Never. Thank God, not. And people say that time heals, but my theory is that time heals only because it gives, it gives us the time to do the grief work. Mm-hmm. So, um, have a, I feel a lot better, but I've done a, a t- tremendous amount so of it, grief work. And what was your aware.
0: grief? What was uh, your grief like? What was your grief work like? So, Can it's you, actually you,
1: grief, grief is going to look different every day, and so will my grief work. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the first year, um, I would join support groups every single week. Mm -hmm. There was actually one, one, one week that I missed out of the entire year. I just wanted to test myself to see how I would do without it. Um, and, and that was a voluntary choice to miss it. I wouldn't miss it for anything. I held on to it for dear life. It was a safe place for me to grieve, to talk, to with, like I said, with like people that understand me, um, And, and, and the first days it was really horrible. I, I would just would say, people would say, you know, with time, it's going to get better. I said, so just let me go to sleep and let me wake up in two years from now, because then I'll feel better in two years from now. But that's not how it works. Because if I did no grief work and I didn't talk it out and I didn't process and I didn't welcome those feelings and allow myself to grieve, then I would be back at, I would be up to square one without actually doing. And so when grief hits, it's the emotions, it's the feelings, and we have to allow space for them. Otherwise they explode at other times. It's like, we don't like the grief because it makes us cry. Who likes to cry? Who likes to feel uncomfortable? But once you process it, it's actually really healing. It's like, like rising higher each time. Um, I, I, I describe it like a, like a butterfly, you know, it's like slowly, slowly emerging into, a healthier version of who I am. Hmm. Um it's forced me to acquire healthier coping skills, forced me to have healthier communication. Um, it, it just it's creating a new me, you know, someone that I could have never been or done um by no choice. So as much as like I hate the grief, the grief has transformed me into a new person.
0: Is that amazing? Wow. Yeah. And that's yeah. going through the grief work. So you were yeah. going through the grief work at the same time there was the faith aspect. Correct. You know, how, yeah. how did that help you? How, I mean, you, you went through the, the stages of grief. You went, you had the support system of yeah. these support groups and your family. Thank God. Yeah. And how did the faith also help you? Like what part, what role did the faith play in your life or in this loss?
1: So it's actually interesting because as much as I had my faith, I feel like my faith has been the most challenged ever. Of course. Um, Right? There's different stages of grief, but yet grief is eternal, right? As long as I live, I will always be his mother. So that grief will be eternal to some degree. Um, And so there's different stages, but I feel like my faith also has different stages. So I held on to it and then I would also get you know, I, I once heard a story of Rabbi Tversky on Chabad.org. He talks about why bad things happen to good people. And there was one thing that stood out for me from the entire thing. He shared a story about a woman that was a Holocaust survivor, and she would come to shul every single Shabbos, but she would refuse to pray. She would just sit there. And when they would ask her, what, why won't you pray? She'd say, because I'm angry at God. And Rabbi Tversky said, I'm actually envious of her faith. You know why? because she believes that this is from God. Mm. So that was very, very comforting for me, because as much as I struggled through all the emotion, and I believe this is from God, but if your next-door neighbor, your sister, your parent, someone would do something such, so painful to you, of course you would be upset at them. Sure. So I believe that this is from God, but I'm hurting. It hurts that something so terrible happened to me. So
0: it's, that's, that's really amazing. So like the pain and the the anger... That anger. you feel to, towards the anger that you feel towards God really is is a uh, is a is almost a litmus test for your faith because yeah. the angrier you are, the more you believe in God. You know, you're not apathetic to God, but you believe that God has done right. this. Correct. And if God has done this, the God who's supposed to be all good and He's done something like this to you, then that's pretty that that arouses your anger. Absolutely, that's yes. that's that's quite an, quite. So we we shouldn't feel. We shouldn't feel when we're angry at God that we don't have faith, I guess is what you're saying.
1: Right. It's like if we're directing our anger at God. It means we believe this is from God. Right. It means that we do have faith. Exactly. And, you know, in the beginning, it's like, is this a test of my faith? What is going on here? But it is a test of my faith. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how could it not be a test of my faith? Mm-hmm. So it's it's complex. It's not just like a black and white answer because my faith looks different on different days. Um, For a very long time, I refused to pray I refused to daven, even though at the same time, that's exactly what I had to hold on to during my darkest days. It was all about the prayer. Yet there are some days where I just I can't do it. And when I started going back to Shul, I mean, it was COVID, right? So everybody was home. But the days where I did start going back to the synagogue, back to Shul, I wouldn't even go upstairs to pray. I just couldn't do it. I said, I belong downstairs with the toddlers. I'm, because I feel like I'm starting a new life. I'm living a new life with this grief, with something. This is like, a, a, like I said, a new me, but it's a new life. And so a toddler starts from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. A toddler starts from the children's program. So that's where I'm going to sit. I first need to build a, for myself, that's my path, is I first need to build a a closeness, a warm feeling, being happy to go to Seoul. And that means with my friends and being social. And, and the prayer will come. And, and the truth is that even if I don't pray from this, so I still pray every single day. Mm-hmm. I pray through song. I sing along. There's different prayers that I found through song. I cry through them. I, it helps me process. Um, but I, I, I also do want to say, I mean, I prepared like what I was going to say, but it's, it's all intertwined and all over the place and mixed and there's no first or second or third. It's all one life. So, um, after my loss and, and still till today you know when i read books and i read stories and i even read articles on chabad.org i i look i look for inspiration i'm looking to find i'm looking to understand and one person says you don't light a candle and one person says you don't give a name i'm like wait so why did my rav tell me that mm-hmm. and it sent me for a real loop because so which way is the right way right there's no jewish law when it comes to um, a stillbirth or a baby under 30 days um, so what am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to navigate this?
0: Mm-hmm. And then,
1: um, it occurred to me a few days ago that when you go to the, when you go to a Judaica store, you're going to see a whole variety of different prayer books on the shelf. Which one is the right one? None of them are the right one. They're all right. We each have to find which prayer book is the right one for us. And we each have to find the right path to serve God. And so I can't look at my next door neighbor, what she does, because that's not my path. I have to carve out my own path back to God.
0: I love that. So. I love that idea, that thought, you know, because we're all such unique people. And Torah has room for all of our uniquenesses. You know, it has room for all of our the special people that we are and the carving out the path that each of us need to take. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. And that's within this, this whole Torah is full of that. You know, it's not against Torah. Torah is the pathway that has so many different pathways.
1: Exactly. And like, you know, when we each pick up, you could have 10 different prayer books, 10 different versions. But the end goal is the same. The end goal is that we're praying to God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I chose this one because this is the one that I resonate with. This is the one that I like. This is the one that works for me. This is the one where I'm able to connect to God in the fullest So then that's the one for me, but my next door neighbor might not choose the same one. So why do I look at my next door neighbor as to what she does? And I feel like it's the same thing when it comes to a stillbirth. You're not, you're never going to find two women that have the same story and you're never going to find two women that, that process the loss in the same way. So for me, it was struggling. I struggled a lot because I said, how could I not remember my baby? How could he's, he's real to me. He's still real to me. He's, you know, He's as physical as it gets and as real as it gets. And so slowly I started to do things to remember him. Um, Like, for example, like I said, that candle that I lit. And then after the fact, I asked the Rev, you know, um, so which one is it? And they said, you decide. But once you've got like your answer from a rabbi, you can't then go and change it. So because I already got my answer and I already started lighting, they say, you know, you can't stop. So. My friend might not light a candle, um, but I do. It's not to elevate his soul. It's for me to connect to his soul. It's something that brings me comfort. It's mm-hmm. actually a heart-shaped candle. It does not look the same like my Shabbos candle. So it's, it's not that this is part of my Shabbos candles. It's, it's, it makes my family feel complete. You know, um, Another thing that I did was I purchased a charm, a necklace with two hearts linked together. Mm-hmm. And um, that represents my baby and me, that we are forever linked together. Hmm. Um, I, after, well, I didn't share the second half of my story yet, yeah. but, um, I have a no, magnet no, on my Why food. don't you
0: tell us what happened after? Yeah.
1: Okay. So after I had him and I had to wait three months, they did all kinds of tests to find out what happened. Maybe I can get a diagnosis as to why the baby died. Um, I never got a clear answer. I was never given, you know, a, a diagnosis. And I was actually, the doctor told me, I've never seen somebody with such a clean bill of health as Pregnancy wise, um, when they were looking for answers and they did a thousand tests on me and hematology and all sorts of things, they never found an answer. So I got the green light. Whoa. And then
0: you got the green light to what? To have another to child. To have another child. Right.
1: And it was at the, um, I was in Florida and I was newly pregnant again. I was about six weeks. So I was really newly pregnant. And at the weekend of my nephew's Bris, which I, decided for some reason to go to, I started bleeding and mm. I came home from Florida, off the plane into the emergency room to have another miscarriage. Well, not another, cause miscarriage and stillbirths are completely two different things, mm. but they confirmed over there that it was, it was, the numbers were too low. And, you know, so at that point, I'm usually like a big talker. I talk to people, I'm on the phone all the time. That day was like, don't talk to me. Don't look at me. I, I, I need my alone time. And my sister-in-law in Florida said to me, Chaya, can I write a letter to the Igress for you? And the igress is, um, should I explain? Sure. The Igress is um, a bunch of letters that have been compiled where when the Labavatrava was still alive uh, with his body, that is, right? Um, people would write um, a lot of letters and he would respond with blessings and advice and guidance. And those letters now um, were compiled into books. And now after his blessing, people like to read these books, to learn, to see, you know, to gain insight and to receive blessings through these books. So my sister-in-law said, can I open the book for you?
0: Did she know that you had gone through this miscarriage? So
1: I was actually staying by her house um, mm-hmm. while this had happened. And I called the psychologist that I was working with and I told her what was going on. And she said, listen, you need support right now. And so you have to do what feels right to you. If you feel like telling everybody there, what you're going through is going to help you, then tell them. And that's what I did. I walked through the front door and my mother, my mother didn't even know yet. Well, it was early. My mother was standing there and my sister-in-law was standing there and I just, my brother was standing there and I just flat out told everybody and it was so vulnerable and it was so hard, but it was the best thing I could have done. Because instead of suffering with this pain alone and this anxiety of like, I don't know where this pregnancy is going, Mm -hmm. um, they were there to hold my hand. Um, Mm -hmm. And my sister-in-law actually had had a miscarriage years earlier, and she um, guided me. Like, it was nice to speak to someone else that had been through something similar, even though um, it was different because this was following an almost full-term pregnancy, stillbirth. Um, so that's what I did. So when I came home from Florida, the following day, Monday morning, they were all checking in on me and I said, it's, it's over. And she asked me, cause sometimes when you have a pregnancy and there's bleeding, the pregnancy could still pan out. Bleeding could be for a million different reasons. It doesn't mean that it's over. Right. So she asked, could I write to the Igris for you? Could I open the book for you? And so she did. I think she actually did it via an app online or something, but either way, the letter that we got was crazy. And I am going to read it. Hmm. And and honestly, like, I was like, go ahead. Do whatever you want. I can't believe anything at this point. Like, I'm just so shattered already that, like, if you want to, go ahead. But I'm not doing it. Like, I'm, I'm hmm. done, you know. So I don't know if you'll be able to read it here. It's blurry, right? what it
0: says now. I don't okay. think you can see it.
1: So first of all, it is... Um, addressed to someone that my husband's family knows, and Mm -hmm. it's addressed to where my husband was born. So we really felt like this hid home for us because (laughs) we felt like it was speaking to us. It was speaking Mm -hmm. to him. And it says like this, Greetings and blessing. Your letter of the 22nd of Chajon reached me with some delay, and this is the first opportunity for me to acknowledge it. Following the order of your letter, I wish to extend here my prayerful wishes that your wife, Xavier DeVora, should have a normal and complete pregnancy, mm. as well as a normal delivery of a healthy offspring in a good and auspicious hour. Wow. So when I got that letter, I was floored. I was like, okay, so if it's not for this pregnancy, then it's for sure for the next one. You mm. know, um, And being that the miscarriage was so early, I was told that I didn't need to wait at all. And so the miscarriage became the last date. It was like the start of the new pregnancy. Um, and of course that pregnancy was filled with incredible anxiety and grief and everything together. And, um,
0: I'm sure you were so anxious during that, that ex pregnancy that you, it was
1: terrible. I don't even know how I survived. It was, how did you
0: cope with all that anxiety? My friends,
1: um, we, a few of us, um, went through stillbirths around the same time within two, three months of each other. And when we were pregnant again, I mean, our friends know when we're pregnant before our husbands know that's how close we we were. So I'm saying like, you know, they're checking on us like every day, every minute, but honestly, it's like, like when somebody else carries the load with you, it's a lot less hard to carry a lot less heavy to carry. So we found each other. I had, like four or five other friends that were pregnant at the same time as me. But we had this one specific little WhatsApp group with just the three of us. Mm-hmm. And every time anxiety would hit, boom, onto the WhatsApp group. Like it, till today, just this morning, I, you know, you know, talked about my anxiety and grief this morning. Like it's a place where we understand each other. Even a little over two years later, we, we still understand each other that grief is normal, that grief comes and goes, that, that, that the grief isn't gone you know, and whereas when you just walk to Seoul, right, like you look at the person sitting next to you, and she may not understand that grief is still normal. So right. that's not a place where I might necessarily feel safe to share something like that. But my friends that were going through this were literally the ones that helped me and actually my family also like the morning after my daughter's bas mitzvah, my I spoke to it was actually the night of my sister I was talking to my sister and um, and I was, she asked me how I was feeling better. And I said, I was terrified and I was anxious. And she said to me, can I hold a hope for you? Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that because like, as much as like I was terrified, I was allowing other people to hold a hope for me. Mm-hmm. So That's my amazing. sister-in-law writing into the igris for me, as well as my sister and my friends.
0: What, like, what would you like? Like what, what kind of, you know, you say that your friends were giving you such support. Yeah. What can, what kind of support can someone give or is it just listening? Is it just trying to understand what, what could someone do?
1: So it's a very great question. And I actually thought to talk about this because like you were saying earlier, it's something that people don't know what to say or what to do or how to support. So for starters, I want to say there is an amazing organization on Instagram and if you don't have Instagram, go get it just for that, because that's (laughs) what I did. I never had Instagram before. She is called, I was supposed to have a baby. Um, She's a from lady, um, a religious lady that has been through her own, a few losses consecutive. And she quit her full-time pediatrician job to do this full-time. This is her job now. It's a Mm -hmm. non-for-profit organization. And she both provides support to women going through infertility as well as loss. And she also teaches people. She um, provides awareness of how to support others going through it. Hmm. So if you found out that your friend just had a miscarriage, go to her. She hmm. is amazing beyond. Well, so like I just, like
0: what your, what your, was it your friend or your sister said, can I hold the hope? Hold the hope I, thought, for you. I yeah. thought that was so beautiful. Was, was there any other things like that, that you heard from friends or, or relatives that, that, that touched you or that made you feel like that's something that I should be, you know, thinking or saying?
1: Right. So really when a person is suffering and grieving or struggling, even if they haven't been through loss, but they're struggling with anything else. It could be a divorce. It could be that they're an older single and they never got married. And they're watching all their friends getting married and having children. Um, It could be someone that has a special needs child. It could be that they have a handicap. It could be any struggle in this world. Um, What I find the worst, sorry, is when we say to them, God has a reason. God has a plan. This was meant to be Um, the person struggling knows that they don't need to hear it. They don't need you to rationalize or fix it or tell me that this may have been better because maybe my baby would have been sick. I, 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 we don't need to hear any such type of rationalization that, you know, we, we, we know that what we need when we're suffering is compassion, empathy, validation. Mm -hmm. So if I say, you know, I had a really, really hard year, you know, it was really hard for me. Just say, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. I'm, I'm -hmm. there for you. You know, when someone is like, now I've learned for myself, even that like, you know, um, somebody's struggling, I I don't need to give reasons or excuses or try Mm -hmm. to fix it. All she needs to hear is I love you. I Mm -hmm. care about you. I'm not going anywhere. Like I'll be there for you. And that's really, I think, what it boils down to is for somebody to get by is just to know that they're not alone, is that oh, somebody is fair. holding them. Mm-hmm. The faith, you know, the inspiration, the growth, that will come later. I like to use an example that when you walk into a shiva house, nowhere on the wall does it say, <laughs> this was meant to be, God, God <laughs> has a reason. It says, <laughs> that whole pasuk, that whole phrase in Hebrew it says that Hashem should comfort you among the mourners of, of Jerusalem, of Zion. So i like to use that as an example. So when a person is mourning, a person is grieving. And yes, even though it's not so recognized, this is full grief. It's full mourning. Um, is Just just say words of comfort to me. To, I'm so sorry. Hashem should comfort you. Hashem should give you the strength. Um, just, just validate that what I'm going through is terrible and the worst thing that could have happened to me.
0: Right. Wow. So... Tell us what happened during that pregnancy that you were at. Let us know what's the end of the story. What's the (laughs) end? The beginning. The beginning. Um,
1: (laughs) So the pregnancy was very harsh, like I said. And the entire pregnancy, we were looking at the calendar in the beginning. I couldn't even talk about my due date. If somebody asked me what my due date was, I was like, go away. Like, don't, don't, don't. don't. Like, I, I can't. I can't even think about the end. I could only think about today right now. So because the letter said that it would be an auspicious hour, we kept wondering. We looked at the calendar. I was due around Shavu's time. I said, what is this auspicious hour going to be? So it's very much a part of my story and a part of my journey because um, when I was 37 and a half weeks, I went to the doctor as regular. I was going once a week then. Um, I told my husband that for this pregnancy, I need a sonogram every single visit from day one. I said, I don't care if it looks over excessive. I don't care. Like, I I, I need to know that I'm in better hands this time. I need to know, like, I felt like if I had known the cause, even though with a sonogram every week, God forbid, we could not know the cause. But that gave me, that was like a a coping mechanism for me to get by the pregnancy, was knowing that I took a sonogram every time. But by the end of the sonogram, I could have taken the sonogram myself. I knew what everything was, exactly (laughs) how. They showed me how the baby breathes inside the mother, the, the diaphragm. They showed me the cord, everything, how it worked and at my very last visit at 37 and a half weeks i uh came in there and i knew the fluid was low because i saw she was measuring and i was i always ask questions i never like I, I it helped me also like instead of like sitting there like quiet with anxiety it helped me to like talk to the technician and so the doctor came in and he had this really stern look on his face and i i like the anxiety like washed over me i was going to die I knew something was wrong and I like, I couldn't do this. In fact, like I called my husband, get, over. he, he, from the very beginning, they told me he could come, but not in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one thing. Thank God they were very, very um, nice about is that nobody was allowed to bring guests during COVID, but cause I had been through what I had been through. They said my husband could come with me, but not in mm-hmm. the sonogram room, not in like in with radiology. So I didn't even ask them permission. I was just like, get over here right now. I'm so scared. So he came flying and the doctor came in the room and um, he told me, you're going to have the baby today. And He basically said like the good news is you're going to have the baby today. And he told me the bad news last. He said, your fluid is very low. So, but like in between that, before he told me, I'm going to have the baby. Of course I started crying and it was really anxiety with emotion and grief and everything was that I just like took a deep breath and I turned it inward. And I said to myself, I have my blessings. Everything is going to be fine. It can't not be. Like, it can't not be. I also had a dream on a Friday night um, that, that the Lubavitcher Abba came back to life. He was here. Like, it was so vivid to me. And it was this, like, he was sitting, like, up there on a pedestal. And there was, like, a long red carpet. And I took the guts. And I walked up to him. And I asked him for a blessing to have a son. And he gave me a blessing. And I woke up. And I told my husband. I was like, whoa, I had this dream. And he, and, and, and he, it like, again, like all these things were just things that like, we felt were true and real for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, uh, it was like the first week of school was a hard day for me. The first of everything is like, very hard when you're grieving, like it's the first holiday without them. The first was the first school day back to school, and I was a mess. And I just kept I wasn't working. I just kept in and out of my office and I was just really go home and I'm working anyways. And there was this like deep gut feeling inside of me that was like, you've got to stay here today. And minutes before I had to go pick up my girls because there was no busing yet, all of a sudden there was like a commotion in my office and there was a Rav that came from Israel to my office. His name is Rav Kaladetsky. He is the son-in-law of Rav Chaim Kanievsky, um, known as a big, big rabbi in Israel. And he came to my office to collect uh, money and it's a like a common practice that people do this during like around the high holidays. So it was around the high holidays and he came and they said, Go, go ask him for a blessing. And I remember feeling like, wait, what? Well, like maybe I would have dressed a bit more modest. Maybe I would have like prepared myself, said <laughs> something to him, Maybe like something. And I it would just like it would, like hit me like a lightning. And I just went out there and I couldn't even speak in Hebrew. Like I know Hebrew, but like, so my coworker came with me and It happened so fast. He gave me, like, a letter with, like, different things to do, like to learn Hilcha Shabbos at my Shabbos table or to light Shabbos candles a few minutes early. Like, a few nice things to do, um, you know, I guess to merit this um, blessing. And he gave me a blessing. He took my name, my husband's name, and and that was it. It happened in, like, two minutes. And I remember I I left, and I had this, like, this overwashed, like, oh. And the last time I remember feeling this way was when I stood in front of the Lubavitcher rabbah when I was how old? Six, mm-hmm. seven, eight years old. Mm-hmm. And that's how I knew. I was like, this rabbi is, is a tzaddik. He's a holy man. Because I, I remember that feeling. I remember that awe. I remember that, that energy. And that's how I felt when I stood in front of the, the Lubavitcher mm-hmm. Rabba. So each time I would have anxiety <laughs> through the pregnancy, um, I, I would remember right, the blessings that I had gotten. I also searched and found a special prayer against pregnancy loss. Mm. And every time I would get anxious, I would just say it again and again and again until I would calm my nerves. Mm. And I took that with me. I took that with me to the hospital. I took everything with me to the hospital. There was also another special prayer that has a very close place to my heart. Um, There's this Tfilas Chana. It's the story of Chana and Penina. Penina had children, Chana didn't. And it talks about all her pain and her grief and her sorrow, um, how she so badly wanted to have a son. So for years, I would say this prayer Friday night, wow. and, um, and then I thought my dreams, my prayers were coming true, and it took me a week, a week only. I didn't say it that first Friday night when I gave birth, but to get back up there again and to pick that thing back up and to start saying that prayer again was, it was hard. It was hard, but I knew I just needed to do that. And then, like I said, so um, that auspicious hour, I mean, he was born, thank God. And then a week later, he had his brisk Friday morning. And just hours later that night was my father-in-law's yard site. Oh, wow. wow. And named after my father-in-law, and his name is Mayor Yonason, mm-hmm. which means God gave us a light. And the way I see my journey now is that the whole thing is about finding the light, about transforming the grief into healing, the grief, you know, the darkness into a light. Um, and I want to say like that Friday night after his bris, in addition to it being my father was site, I picked up that Tfiloshana again, but this time, I know it's emotional. Um, this time I was saying it from a place of thanks because in the prayer, the whole thing is she talks to, you know, to Ailey, um, Ailey was the high priest there. Um, you know, about, and he thinks she's drunk, and she says, no, I'm just so bitter, I'm broken, and he blesses her, she should have what her heart desires, and she goes home and gets pregnant and has this child, and she brings up this child, she raises this child, and then brings him, I think it was at three years old or something, she brings him to the Beis HaMikdash, to the holy temple, to to serve Hashem, to live with Hashem, this should be Hashem's child, Um, and at the end of this, whole prayer thing there's she actually sings there's actually a prayer where she thinks Hashem for the son that he blessed her with so I really resonate with that prayer because it like literally has been before during and after my journey Mm -hmm. um I, I do also want to bring in here like I said it was like finding the light so um towards the end of my pregnancy Hannah made this class on faith and I thought yeah I could use a dose or two on that and so I joined with COVID, so I hid my face. I was like, you know, perfect excuse, right? COVID, I'm not going anywhere. But um, at the end of the class, I connected with a woman. Her name was Shari. Sher- Hi, Shari, if you're out there.
0: Right.
1: she gave me a blessing. Many people gave me blessings. Um, but the one that resonated with me the most was she blessed me that all my tears of grief should be transformed into tears of joy. Right. And to me, that was the most powerful blessing. And I chuckled, I laughed because I said, Whoa, that's going to be a lot of joy. (laughs) A lot of grief. Um, and so from there on, like from her blessing and on, and has been a journey for me to transform the darkness into a light. Um, and, and I really think that it's up to us to find the light. The light isn't something that is just given it's, we have to search through the darkness to find that light. Um, and, I want to say that, like, I I don't think it's a coincidence that you asked me to speak this week, because this week is the three weeks, it's, you know, leading up to the destruction of the temple. And ever since my loss, I feel a completely different connection to the loss of the Vesa HaMikdash, because I live loss, it's a part of me, I connect with loss. And um, they say that, like, those that um, mourn during the three weeks will merit, to rejoice with the third and final base of Mikdash when it it will be rebuilt. Um, And I really resonate with that because the things that I do to remember my son, um, like I did make a photo book with pictures of him and the pregnancy and quotes and all different things to remember him. And it sits on my shelf just like any other photo book that's here. Um, I took a photo shoot with a picture of him a few weeks ago because he'll always be a part of my family. He'll always be in our hearts. Um, but I, the way I think of it, the analogy I was thinking, like, how could I fit this in is that, um, after the destruction of the temple, we have certain traditions or certain customs that we do to remember the destruction, to remember the temple. For example, when a Jewish couple gets married, we break the glass under the chuppah. Or when somebody uh, builds a home, we're supposed to have a designated little area to remember the temple or the fast days that we have, it's it's to remember the destruction of the temple. And I feel like it is no different to my son. These mm-hmm. things that I do are to remember him. And just like when Mashiach comes and we're going to have the third temple, we're going to have the third Beis HaMikdash, I'm also going to have my son. I'm going to be reunited with my son just as much as we are going to have the Beis HaMikdash. So that's really, really how I I connect with that. And to me, it's not just like, an abstract concept that's very real to me, you know. Um, and so, what do we, what do we, what do we remember about the temple? We we remember the loss, right? What we don't have, what we're missing, the void, and that is no different for anyone that has lost a child. Um, and I want to say also, like when my son Mayer was born, it's it's called a rainbow baby, and a rainbow baby. You know, I thought about this concept a lot. Like it sounds, this like it sounds like a magical thing. Like you're going to have this rainbow baby and everything's going to be amazing, but I have a little secret. It's really hard because not only I have the grief, now I have to learn to navigate the joy and the grief. Sweet. And um, another baby is not a replacement for the one that I lost. They have two different names. It was two different pregnancies. Um, and so, especially in the beginning, of course, everything about it is triggering. Just looking at that baby caught and seeing one and seeing both. Like, it's like, wait, like I just did this. 13 and a half months ago, this is really raw. It's really scary. It's really hard. It's really harsh. And so a rainbow baby is amazing, but it's also really hard and triggering at the same time. And that's why I said, it's like when the grief comes, it's like, it it still comes. You know, another baby doesn't take away the grief. So um, I was looking.
0: That's such an important point that people don't realize, you know.
1: All the time. You have another baby now. And, And what What's the shikas? What like
0: right. it's
1: great therapy, I'm not gonna lie. Having another baby yeah. is amazing. He brings us so much joy, more than we ever had before, even though I've had children before. This child yeah. and those children are like before and after life, like my new life, right? So he brings us an incredible amount of joy. Like we like like as much as like I feel like I feel the most pain ever, I also laugh the most ever. I it's like I'm the most emotionally healthy I ever was because I work to get to such a place. Like I wake up in the morning. It's not that I feel happy automatically. It takes extra effort to get to a place of where I feel good. And that, and, and the trick for that, I really believe is besides for the grief work is a lot of self care. If I cannot Mm -hmm. cook for myself, then go buy the food. Mm -hmm. If I like, it's, I'll go to the, I'll go to even to the dollar, my favorite dollar tree down the street. Hannah. like, (laughs) I I just have to buy something just so I feel good today. Mm -hmm. So it requires a lot of self care but in regards to the rainbow baby, I was looking, I said, how does this apply to my story in a spiritual way? And, um, what I found is initially, we know the first time we learn about a rainbow in the Torah is after Hashem, um, destroyed the world with a marvel, and Hashem made this promise, this covenant that he will no longer destroy the world. And the, the sign for that was a rainbow. So I thought to myself that that's not really such a good sign. So, how do I find comfort in that I have a rainbow baby? I, I, I love the rainbow baby idea, but like, what does it mean in my spiritual journey? And I found actually that the Zohar states that the rainbow is actually um, like, it's like a foreshadowing. It's like an indication to the future redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, because what, when do we have a rainbow? When does the rainbow appear in the sky? It's after really harsh and stormy weather. So that the stormy, harsh weather, the thick clouds represent this gullus, that we live in now and the rainbow is when the clouds start to disperse a little bit and there's a little bit of a ray of a light that shines through the rainbow and that will happen when mashiach will come when the gullas will be when this world will be refined and the light will shine through that's that's an indication of the revelation of the light the revelation of mashiach and that's I a
0: beautiful I, idea I, wow thank you it's yeah. beautiful well, you, you know what? You shared so many ideas and so many thoughts with us. I, I really want to thank you for sharing your story with us and sharing your inspiration with us, and sharing your 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 raw the rawness of how you dealt with your grief and how you how you are dealing with your grief at the same it. time. At the same time, as a tremendous joy, and I think that you know that's an important point. One doesn't cancel the other. You know that right. you're living and you're coexisting with them together. Right. And that analogy to the Beit HaMikdash, to the future redemption is really beautiful. I want to wish you that you should be reunited very quickly with your Avram, your little Avram. Avram, And you you should have tremendous, tremendous nachas from your mayor, Yehonasan. Yeah. Yeah. From mayor and from all your children. And we should just um, thank you so much for inspiring us and for teaching us and for sharing your journey with us. I think it's a journey that needs to be told. It's a journey that often is not told. And I think as women, it's something that we need to share with one another and need to be able to support. learn how to support one another through it. So thank you so much. Thank you for thank sharing, you. for joining And us. I just
1: want to end off that if there's anyone out there that wants to talk to me, well, now I have a baby. I used to say I do this full <laughs> time, but you're more than welcome. You could give them my number. I'm happy to speak to anybody that is going through challenging times. And um, yeah. I'm here. I'm, 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 an, I'm, an, I, my new motto became I'm healthy. I'm human and I'm normal. Like, I love I'm, that. like I'm grieving. Why am I grieving? What's wrong with me? Why, why am I still grieving? Cause I'm healthy. I'm human and I'm normal. That's it.
0: That's a great so, motto. I think we can all apply that and we can allow ourselves to grieve at the same time as be joyous.
1: Yeah. It's not a contradiction at all.
0: Right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chaya.
1: Thank you. really
0: shared with us uh, her story, her journey from grief and faith after loss and how she is dealing with it till today. Thank you so much.